from their padded cell in Indianapolis, Indiana, this is The Spiel, episode 15, Mmm, Brains. Welcome back, everybody. Episode 15. Woohoo! <laughs> Gotta love that. Yes, welcome to the Spiel. My name is Stephen Conway. And I'm David Colson. And uh, we're here to, to let you listen to us blabber on about games for about an hour or so, and we're glad you're with us. Exactly. And sec- our second Halloween episode. Yes, yes. Being October, there's, so m- there's a plethora of, of great spooky games out there, and uh, we kind of did the lighter fare last time. Not that these are necessarily meaty <laughs> yeah, but, but <laughs> in, so in some speak. ways they are exactly <laughs> but uh we thought we'd get into a little more of the gross side of uh the uh halloween fair uh, as far as what's out there in the, the game world so cool be be prepared for lots of zombies and lots of brains and blood and guts i love that <laughs> <laughs> so are you ready Oh, absolutely. Want to let everybody know about the uh, new segment that we're at. Oh, that's right, right. This so episode. We definitely got in enough uh, interest uh, from people writing in and wanting to know about uh, the mailbag segment, so look forward at the end of the show. We have a whole new segment called Mailbag for all you listeners who wrote in, so look forward to that at the end. Fun. <laughs> well, before we get to the end, we have to get to the beginning, so... Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Let's go. Game News and Notes. Okay, well, our first uh, game up for news and notes this week is uh, actually the latest in the funagain.com exclusive games. (laughs) It's Ink and Gold, and it's published by Sun River Games. It should be out in November. This is actually the English language version of um, Diamant, which was published by Schmidt Spiele um, just last year. Um, It was designed by Alan Moon and Bruno Fiduti. It's for three to eight players, ages eight and up. Um, Ink and Gold retails for tw- uh, 20 bucks, and Diamant is for around $25, so it's a little cheaper than the original. Nice. Um, Ink and Gold is a greed-style game. It's kind of in the same vein as the classic Can't Stop by Sid Saxon or the newer Cloud Nine by um, Aaron Weisblum, which were both cool games. Um, in Ink and Gold, players venture, venture into a ruined temple in Peru in search of Incan artifacts and riches of gold, obsidian, and turquoise. By turning cards up from a deck, you'll find and share these riches on the way down into the temple. Uh, Before each card is turned up, you have the chance to leave and stash your loot. So basically, hightail it and cash everything in. That's cool. So you ask, why would you ever leave? Because (laughs) the deck also contains hazards, like giant spiders and mummies and fire. And whenever a duplicate hazard card is turned up like a second spider, then anybody left in the temple, dead, you get nothing. (laughs) So obviously the trick is the more players that wuss out and leave, the larger the, the treasure is going to be for the people that hung out. So it looks like a pretty cool, neat, greed-style game. The only bummer is, is um, they've gone with a little cheaper components, mm-hmm. and they've actually left some component out, some components out in the original 
um, you had like these little wooden explorers and these uh, cardboard chests and this kind of base camp game board. Hmm. Well, none of that exists in this version. I've actually they don't had, pass the goober test then. That's no, for sure. no. I've had my eyes on this ever since last year when it came out as um, Diamond or Diamond. I'm not sure how to pronounce um, that, but um, I was like, okay, cool. Now an English language version is coming out, and now it's a fun again exclusive. So it's still going to be kind of not super easy to get. You can only get it for one place, but we'll see. I've, I'm a huge fan of greed style games. Love mm-hmm. playing them. So the designers certainly have oh, a good pedigree. Both it, those guys. Exactly, exactly. So I'm I'm kind of stoked. I will be getting this in one form or the other. So (laughs) looks kind of cool. Check it out. Cool. Yeah, that sounds that sounds cool. (laughs) Well, my game. I don't even know where to start on this on this uh, game, if we want to call it a game. So my uh, news for news and notes is to talk about this thing called Perplex City. It's a game. It's a wild, almost unclassifiable type of game. It bills itself as an alternate reality game, which is as good a label as any for now, I think. The game, as such, consists of several elements. A card game, a board game, multiple websites, and even real-world interaction at specific locations. We've got a few packs of the cards, and we've just literally started down this rabbit hole, because it definitely feels sort of like Alice heading down the rabbit hole. Let me let me explain. The the cards depict different sections of this fictional perplex city on one side, and on the other there's a puzzle, a brain teaser of some sort, all different kinds of, of puzzles with varying degrees of difficulty. And now here's where it gets even more freaky. Once you've logged in and created an account on the Perplex City website, you can get points for solving these puzzles that are on each card. Certain cards are linked by colors or patterns to give you more points, and many cards mention characters or mysteries that will appear in other cards or may direct you to websites where there's more information, and often there are more puzzles to solve even on them. See what I mean about down the rabbit hole? Oh, man. (laughs) The alternate reality part comes in because as the story unfolds, you may be directed to actual physical locations or phone numbers. Um, for additional clues or information about the city and and how everything hangs together. It's a fascinating concept, if you ask me. And to me, it's, it's, it's like we're witnessing a whole new category of game coming into existence. Uh, I can't vouch for the quality or challenge of the puzzle or the play experience yet because we've just sort of right. started down this, this path, but stay tuned. Um, and we may even have an inroad to uh, talking to the designer of perplexity cool. um, in a future episode. I'm working on that, and I think that'll probably happen here sometime soon. Okay. Um, I encourage you to, to look into it in greater detail. I'm sure we're going to come back and revisit this in greater detail, but check out perplexcity.com. Uh, that will give you even more information about it. You buy the cards in packs of six. They come with, they're sort of packed like collectible cards in that there are sort of easy, hard, and and more hard puzzles <laughs> within the things, and they're all over the place. For any of you who have been enjoying the Tanga.com puzzles, a new website that had this puzzle element to it, this could definitely fill that puzzle fix for you too, right. and in a totally different way. And the ex, the extra cool thing, <laughs> yeah, hello. Dave. Hello. <laughs> 
I, I, he was like, well, this is kind of cool. And then I pointed out that if you're able to actually solve this mystery, you're trying to find the Reseda Cube, right. which is this artifact that's been lost from Perplex City and is now in the real world somewhere. If you actually find it, $200,000 wow. coming your way. So <laughs> this, this is just mind-numbingly cool. Yeah. <laughs> we'll definitely have to look into this. Talk about mm, brains. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is going to be brains coming out the ears by the time exactly. you're done with it. That's awesome. I think it's, it's definitely worth a, worth a look. The List. Over a decade ago, we took up the challenge of playing every unplayed game in our collection. Each week on the Spiel, we play one or two games off our unplayed list. The list started over 100 and has been as low as 30, but we're at peace with the fact that we'll probably never get to the end. After all, life would be awfully boring without new games to play. Let's see which games get crossed off the list. Okay, well, the uh, first game off of our list on this special Halloween list of games tonight is uh, Zombies, the widescreen edition. This is the first edition. It was published in 2002 by Twilight Creations. Um, they have recently just put out a second edition called the Director's Cut. Um, the differences between these two are slightly cooler artwork, a little bigger box so you can store all your goodies in there, some updated rules, and of course, zombie chicks. How can, you, how can you go wrong exactly, with zombie chicks? Exactly. So, um, Zombies was designed by Todd Breitenstein. It's for two to six players, ages 12 and up. Uh, the first edition retails for $25. The newest edition is for $27. You can find either online for between $16 and $22. Pretty that's, good deal. That's a deal, yeah. Um, Zombies is a game that gives you, the average schmuck, a chance to reenact the suspense and fear of trying to escape the clutches of The Walking Dead. When it comes to survival, it's every man for himself. So grab your shotgun, lock and load, and make sure to aim for the head. <laughs> <laughs> the object of zombies is to fight your way through a seemingly insurmountable number of the undead in an attempt to make your way to the helipad. Only one player can escape on the helicopter, so make sure you're the first one to get there alive. <laughs> Optionally, you can win the game by being the first player to bag 25 of the town's grisly nasties. Not easy, but possible. Uh, the game board is constructed from a set of tiles. At the beginning of the game, the town square is the only tile in play. On each player's turn, a tile is drawn and added to the town, causing the town to slowly take shape, and unfortunately at the same time, propagating the zombie population. Not good. <laughs> <laughs> There's zombies around every corner. <laughs> exactly. Um, each player begins the game with three lives, three bullets, and three cards. If you lose all your lives, you have to return to the town square, discard any weapons cards you currently have in play, and lose half the zombies that you've killed so far. Which That's is painful. painful. It's exactly. very painful. Uh, basically, in other words, that means you can't die, you can't be put out of the game, you just keep rebooting yes. and going on. <laughs> um, the bullet cards are used to modify your dice rolls during combat, and the cards themselves actually represent the weapons and actions that you can use to either help yourself or hinder, <laughs> hinder your opponents. <laughs> um, in the base game, that's pretty much all there is to it. Yeah. You roll, move, kill stuff, and be the first one to get the hell out of zombie town. <laughs> um, unfortunately, Stephen and I don't know what making things easy is. No, no, we're not a fan of that. So tonight we played not just the base game, 
but we played with all five expansions at the same time. <laughs> uh, that, meant, that means we were using nearly 250 cards, over 100 tiles, and we actually had four helipads that we could find to get the hell out of Zombie Town. But those four helipads are mixed in with right. an insane number, number of, of, ti- of the tiles from right. the different locations. So it was zany, but it, it was a great time. Um, I'll give you a quick overview of all the expansions so you have some idea what the heck we're talking about when we actually get to the game. Um, the, first expa- the first expansion is Zombie Corpsey, and it adds tiles representing the secret military base and new government-enhanced super zombies. <laughs> Glow in the dark, no less. Exactly. Uh, the second expansion is Mall Walkers, and it adds tiles representing a two-story mall complete with air ducts that you can crawl through. <laughs> cool. And this one adds a couple new scenarios that you can play, which is pretty neat. Uh, the third expansion is Not Dead Yet. And it's a card expansion that has rules for customizing and building your own decks. Oh, okay. Which is pretty you sweet. You mentioned that, yeah. Um, the fourth expansion is The End. It adds tiles representing the woods. It also adds some zombie dogs. Uh, new Half-Life tokens, and a third way to win the game. In this version, if you can find the cabin and successfully undo the spell that's raising the dead, you can win. Pretty sweet. <laughs> a la Evil Dead. <laughs> exactly, that's cool. And the fifth and final expansion is School's Out Forever. I was tempted to sing that, but I didn't, <laughs> thankfully. Oh, man. Um, it adds tiles representing a college campus and new Guts tokens that are now used to determine the size of your hand. So quite a bit of stuff to take in right there, but um, I had a blast playing this. Oh gosh, yeah. I mean, it's at its essence, yes, mechanically speaking, it is still just a roll and move style game. You're you know trudging around the city trying to find the helipad or or a way out, and of course it's never as easy as that because you're for every oh. piece you flip over. What is it for every? open street you know right more zombies so if it's not a specific <laughs> building saying here put this many in you're putting one in for every open end and oh man i was we were five minutes into the game and we already it was three of us to there were probably 40, 40 zombies, zombies already on the board already and we were playing with three people and sometimes you know there is a kind of well we could work together and all go this direction in, in the city so we're not putting as many new tiles out no, screw that. We, we wouldn't have any of that. <laughs> we each dispersed to a different corner of the city, so we had all these avenues totally filled with zombies. Zombies in the street, zombies in the gas station. Yep. I think we found two of the expansion, because the, the entrances to the different expansions... Um, They're seated into the main stack of tiles. Right. Exactly. And right from the get-go, we you start in the town square, which has four open... Um, street. streets that you can go to and for some stupid reason <laughs> we decided that each one of us as we drew a tile we put it on each side of that on the first three <laughs> sides of that so we started to block ourselves in from all these zombies it was like oops maybe we should just go in one direction first <laughs> <laughs> well especially when at part of your turn is you know you roll and move but then you also roll to see how many zombies you can move right that you can close off people's 
escape route. So they start going down, you know, this this road, and they're kind of cutting a swath through the the zombies, <laughs> arms and limbs flying everywhere, and you're just marching the zombies in behind them to to cut them off so they can't come back the way they came. That's it's, just awesome. It's great. I know that your first intent was to head into the mall. Oh yeah, you definitely. started drawing. And you're like, gotta go into the mall as soon as he heard about the air ducts. Mm-hmm. And oh my <laughs> god. We drew like six mall tiles, and it was there was more zombies than you could count. All of a sudden, it was like, "I'm not going in there. Yeah. You go in there." <laughs> <laughs> I like. I mean, to me, that that's what this game has going for it. Sort of like we mentioned this with even Formula Day last episode, where it just it feels like it gives you a good ac- accurate representation of the racing. In the case of Formula Day, right. this one it feels like they've thrown you down in the middle of a George Romero zombie yeah, movie exactly. it totally feels like you know dawn of the dead or night of the living dead any you know, you pick your favorite zombie movie and it captures that the essence of the that style uh movie just perfectly just to a t the the cards have really sort of snarky uh, art and the the way that just the flavor text is written on them are the hilarious flavor text is awesome and it does nothing but encourage you to totally mess up everybody else's plan with you know uh, they think they're going to go someplace, and you are able to move them someplace else on the board and surround them with zombies, right. which I think is really cool. Uh, yeah, I thought I had it made in tonight's game. Oh, you did. You so totally I, did. I found the the front gate for the mil- the secret military base, <laughs> and I headed in and just started lopping heads and bodies. <laughs> which and is where all the super zombies are. Exactly. I was like, oh, don't let me run into those guys. But I found the helipad fairly quickly, not too bad. I'm like, woohoo, I've got this pet and... So I get down there. Unfortunately, I die. <laughs> I get reset back to the um, the town square. The town square where Stephen is because he died many times. Yes, I think. Unfortunately, this time he died and came back as a werewolf. I had a card. <laughs> was waiting for me at the town square. The werewolf allowed me to actually attack other players as though they were zombies, and uh, <laughs> I put a hurt. I put a hurting on Dave at yeah, that point. Unfortunately, where did I have to go? I had to go to the bridge tile, which is the entrance to the woods, which was on the totally opposite side opposite of the side board. That the helipad was that I found. And there were probably 80 zombies in between In the meantime, he found a second helipad (laughs) three squares away from where he was. So the guy who died like a dozen times in the game just goes, I'll kill a couple zombies and get the hell out of here. But it it was a hoot. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, it's just, you know... I guess you get the little plastic figurines are definitely add I think something to the game right. too because you have I don't know how many do you have four hundred of the basic gray plastic you yeah, know, shambling it. zombies and I like the fact that they're all kind of bendy oh, so yeah, some exactly. of them are kind of leaning ah, different ways exactly. or whatever and now what they've got the the dogs and the the glow in the dark the glow in the dark and the new zombie, zombie chicks, chicks right you don't have any of those yet but. no I haven't bought a bag of zombie chips but hello <laughs> yeah <laughs> I'll be buying some of those puppies yeah I think I think all you need to add to this game is to have a uh, Chopper Chicks in Zombie Town right, exactly. uh, on the DVD player in the background. Pull out uh, zombies, and I think it's cool because it could, it could scale up well too. You could play this with two people, and it would be a hoot. Right. And you could play with you know. I think it's only designed for six, but right. you were telling me that yeah, when they brought out the um, the fourth expansion, the end that added the zombie dogs, it's you can actually play that standalone. And so they put five new or six new. Uh, what they call shotgun guys <laughs> figures in there, and they 
made them completely different colors than the original ones, almost like they were tempting you to try this with 12 people. Which you could totally do. <laughs> I can't even imagine that. I mean, by the time it gets around to you, you're going to be so surrounded by zombies. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be painful. <laughs> but this was a good time. It's, you know, light on the strategy, perhaps, yep. but, but heavy on the fun. <laughs> right. You know, you couldn't, especially, you know, there's blood and guts and the, the cards are kind of graphic. So, you know, if you have kids, maybe... You know, they want to be 12 or up, you know, before you want to Yeah, I was going to say, make that, sure they're but... four, but... <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, other than that, you know, any age person could definitely oh, yeah. learn, catch on to these rules. And yeah. as long as you don't mind a little uh, zombie carnage, I think you're in for a, a good time. <laughs> yeah, I start right off with a meat cleaver, which Stephen promptly stole from me. Yep. And then used to attack me as he was the werewolf. Yep. That was completely unfair. <laughs> it slices and dices <laughs> and makes Dave fries. So that was uh, Zombies, the widescreen edition. Look for this or go get the new director's cut version. Yeah. But you can't go wrong. This is, for me, a huge thumb up thematically. Halloween or uh-huh. any other time of the year. Yeah. I would I would pull this one out and, and give it a shot. Plus, heck, we got to knock like five or six things off the list Woo-hoo. by playing all these expansions. <laughs> we got to find more games like that on our right, list exactly. to, to knock off. And all, you can go to the website and they have... Just scads of extra rules that you can use, oh, ways yeah. that you can play this. I mean, we did the simple way of kind of just all putting it together, but I can think of oh, a bajillion yeah. other ways to play all these different add-ons. You could sort of up upgrade it to sort of an advanced version very easily oh, yeah. by you know differentiating the characters or something a la Arkham Horror or something like that right. where you know each shotgun guy has slightly different right. you know abilities or something or it, starts with a weapon or something starting like that. with a weapon would be awesome that would be really cool actually because yeah. it's really hard to get those it's not like you'd them. have it very long because you die like relatively often but that's the nice game. thing that i mean they almost you know you're going to die in this game there's right. no way you're ever going to finish exactly. this game without dying but dying is not a huge penalty no no which i think bears right. emphasis kind of resets guess. your character and you get everything back the only bummer is obviously losing half the zombies that you've killed. Yeah. You know, if, you, if you've killed four zombies, no big deal. Once you've killed 20 like I did, and you lose <laughs> 10 of them. a little more painful. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I ever killed more than 10, so I didn't have that problem. <laughs> but I would give, uh, I would definitely yeah. give uh, zombies a shot. Yep, give it a try, big time. Well, the next game in our uh, Zombalicious uh, escapades Woo-hoo. this evening is uh, Dead Money. Rather new game uh, here. Uh, it's, it was published this year in 2006. Uh, James Ernest is the uh, designer. Classic cheap ass game. It's published by Cheap Ass Games. Um, three to six players, and you can find copies of this for about $15. Unlike many cheap ass games, however, it is color. Um, full color. Full color. Um, and the cards are of a higher quality than you would expect from a cheap-ass game, but it doesn't have a cheap-ass price in that it's a little more right. expensive than, than the average cheap-ass game, but I think for the price point, it, you get your money's worth. So here's a little background about the game before we, we delve into the discussion. Uh, it's the Old West, and you find yourself working at Friday's, the watering hole of the damned. You're the last few players in a poker game, and you're not allowed to win. Now lose all your money as fast as you can while everyone else is trying to do the same. Oh, and you'll probably need the brain. (laughs) So Dead Money is the newest game in the Friday's series of cheap-ass games, which include Give Me the Brain, Lord of the Fries, classic, and The Great Brain Robbery. Uh, It's a wacky cross between poker and Give Me the Brain. 
Players begin with a hand of card and no hand of cards and no brains. The brains are actually cards in the deck, unlike uh, Give Me the Brain, where you actually just have a little physical brain right. out on the board. Um, there are eight of them all together, and the object of the game is to get rid of your cards, which represent, among other things, the money that you have left in this poker game. Of course, a lot of the cards that make you a lot of the cards make you draw other cards. And a lot of them require you to have the brain even to play them out of your hand. It's a quick-playing, clever variation on a cheap-ass classic, and it features the glorious Cowboy Zombies by Brian <laughs> Snotty, who is just a great artist. I, the art brings a lot to yeah, the table in this the particular game. work is awesome. <laughs> so for those of you who aren't familiar with Give Me the Brain, which basically this is almost just a variant of the rules for right. Give Me the Brain, the cards that you have in in dead money are basically a standard two standard poker decks of cards so 252 decks of cards plus a brain of each suit so you have a brain of diamonds a brain of clubs a brain of spades and a brain of, heart, brain of hearts but they're eight because there's two decks shuffle all these together and you get delta hand of seven cards you're going to try with those seven cards to get rid of them as fast as you can on your turn just as in give me the brain you have action points which are your hands you have two hands that you can do something with and every card in your hand has little hand icons on them telling you whether it takes one hand to do this job or two hands to do this job and give me the brain you're working in a fast food restaurant in this one you're playing poker um, in addition to the number of hands that you've got you also have a little brain icon that'll show up on some cards in which case you need the brain in order to be able to actually play, play that card, card out right. of your hand that's where the wackiness comes into this game um in order to uh have those the brain card you have to either have played one out out of your hand because you could get one in dealt to you or you could try to steal one from someone else or you can win one in a poker showdown so if you start out with one it's pretty easy you just play it out of your your hand uh, it's a two-handed card, so that's your turn. But you have to draw two cards, so you can see you're all you're almost always there's sort of a balance of something good happens, something bad happens. Um, once you have that down, then of course any card that has the brain token you could play. The really interesting poker mechanic, I think, is the any card that requires the brain because you are zombies after all. The brains are a little hard to hold on to <laughs> when you do your uh, actions. Um, there's a chance you drop the brain. So you have to roll a die. That's the only additional equipment that you need, other than the cards, is a six-sided die. Um, and you have to roll a die and roll equal to or higher than the value of the card. So if you play the four of clubs, you have to roll a four, five, or a six, and you don't drop the brain, so the brain stays in front of you. If, however, you drop the brain, it starts a whole new round of the game that is basically a, a poker round in the middle of the game. So that game sort of stops. You put the brain out. The person to the left of the person who dropped the brain plays the best poker hand that they want to play. It, with the idea being that if you have the highest poker hand, you're going to get to take the brain and maybe you'll be able to play some cards that have the brain on them when it comes to your turn. Uh, the catch is that the people who come after you have to be able to play a better poker hand in order to beat you. So after everybody's has had one shot at playing the best poker hand that they can, uh, you see who wins or who loses, with the big catch being that if you actually win the poker hand, 
There are little money icons on each card, and you have to draw cards equal to the number of little coins on all the cards. So even when you win, you lose. You lose. <laughs> <laughs> so in a nutshell, that's that's basically it's very fast moving. Um, you can't ever count on the setup being the same from turn to turn. In fact, I know we played this with three people, Dave and I and Francie. And at one point in one of the games that we played, Francie was down to two cards without even having had a turn. Right. <laughs> because of all the... I guess I haven't explained maybe well enough the the cards that you're playing out of your hands all have special text on them. that are going to allow you to do things like take a card from your opponent and hand it to another player or all the brains shift to the left, or take a card out of the discard pile and put it on the top of the, the draw pile. Or There's just an endless number yeah. of things that, that, that are sort of rules breakers that will allow you to do different things that are going to manipulate the, your hand, the board, and the, the draw and discard piles on the deck. But um, let it, let it, let's just start the discussion here, Dave. What, what do you think here? I I thought it was fun is that we had we got what three or four games in right um we were comparing this to its predecessor older brother <laughs> um and that sometimes you could play for what seemed like days mm-hmm. trying to be able to you know get rid of your cards um but this is kind of taking it up a notch and it allows it to get you know the pace is quickened and I'd say. 10, 15 minutes a game. I mean, Probably, I could see yeah. it going longer. Maybe with more people, it would last a little right, longer. Right, but it Maybe was, it would go quicker. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> I just, um, but it was, it was, I thought it was really neat, that, especially like you already said, when France was able to unload five of the seven or cards without even having a turn. <laughs> and we sure as heck weren't trying to let her do that. No, no. I mean, you know? usually you would think that if you get skipped, because that, I guess that's the thing with the uh, showdown in the poker phase, that several people can get skipped because right. whoever wins the, the poker phase start. immediately gets a turn because right. they've got the brain. And a turn means a chance to get rid of more cards. So you want it to be your turn as often <laughs> as possible. But some of the, I mean... But that's awesome game balance right there. Yeah. That, I mean, you can get skipped three, four times and suddenly you're in the lead. <laughs> I, and I had entire hand, you know, I had like five or six cards. I couldn't play any of them or I was going to basically, okay, I'm going to play this one, but I'm going to draw five more. Mm-hmm. Ah, I can't do that. <laughs> So it's it's a really cool game. The hand management aspect of it is really, I think, well thought out. Right. Um, I love the poker aspect, especially if you're the one leading off, you know, the one that's going to open the bidding. You're like, well, do I really want to win this and draw cards back, or do I want to lose? But how can I play cards where I can hopefully guarantee that somebody else will can beat me and will want to beat me so I can just discard my slough? Right. You know? Because there are, car- there are definitely cards you'll end up with your in your hand that are really bad for you that oh, you yeah. don't want to have to play. Absolutely. And so you can get the only real way to get rid of those without taking the hit on the special text is to discard or to play them as your poker hand. But it's really <laughs> well balanced because those cards invariably are the ones that actually make awesome I, poker I, yeah, hands. Yeah, exactly. Which bring even more cards, cards into your hand. Like, ah. So I definitely, I, I think it's a, a, a nice refinement Oh yeah, of exactly. The give me the brain mechanic. If I had the choice between playing give me the brain and dead money, I, the theme of give me the brain is so awesome, you right. know. And you have cards like I forgot what lettuce is <laughs> and things. And this card has you know equivalents. Oh, this like, has some great. Is this whiskey vegetarian? <laughs> 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 or alas, attacked by lizards. <laughs> uh, that's great. <laughs> Which are just awesome. But I mean, hanging in the balance. 
I guess I would choose dead money over give over me the brain probably nine times out of ten. Maybe I'm just I'm giving away my love of poker right. as well as, you know, my love of zombies. <laughs> <laughs> but but I would think if you can have your zombie cake and eat it too, why not? What the heck? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I'd, I'd get this out in a heartbeat. <laughs> so, again, uh, the second game on the list tonight uh, was Dead Money, and I think we'd both encourage you to, to check this one out. It's, an, it's a new one, but it's it's a good one. Backshelf Spotlight. These games need some love, and we're going to give it to them. The Backshelf Spotlight shines on those games that may have slipped past your attention. Classic games, rare games, obscure games that you may not know about, but you should. If you're looking to branch out and try something new, this would be a good place to start. So the connection game we like to play here on the Spiel, um, every week the games that we're going to discuss have a connection between the two of them, so we have a little uh, housekeeping to do from last week. Uh, the two games that we discussed last week were Formula Day and Bermuda Triangle, and there was a connection between these two games. It's always not a straightforward connection, and, and I think... You'll probably start to get this as we go, <laughs> exactly. but we're quite disappointed that we had no winners this week. Right. We did have a lot of emails, a lot of <clears throat> A lot guesses. of emails, yeah. The, the emails are coming in by the droves, which is awesome, but uh, you got to think a little bit uh, <laughs> twisted, a little bit off exactly. <laughs> in order to get where we're coming from. If it sounds good... It's probably wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so we thought we'd share a few of the... A the, few of the ones that came in that we thought were cool. Yeah. So Dave, why don't you, you hit it first? Uh, we got um, some email from uh, Mathen from Virginia, and he had a couple guesses. Um, his first guess was that they both, both games allow blocking, which prevents or slows your opponents from passing you, which is totally true. Wrong, but true. <laughs> um, and his second guess, which is really cool, is that uh, in both games... Um, your pieces can be completely destroyed, preventing you from even finishing the game, which absolutely, absolutely true. true. So, uh, great <laughs> guesses, Mathen. But... Two swings and two misses. <laughs> I think perhaps the farthest flung listener of the spiel so far, <laughs> Ankabut in Malaysia, had a really good guess. His guess was that both games use real-world locations or tracks as their game boards. Oh, that's cool. Which is, that's a very, you're, you're starting to think in that kind of left field way that we're right. thinking, but eh, wrong. <laughs> and then we had, um, I had several emails from Michael from Minnesota. <clears throat> he had several good guesses. I'll read one of them here. Um, he thought the connection between the games was the fact that you had to make a decision on whether to take it easy or whether to go all out, which is absolutely true in both games. Yeah. Once again, great guess, but... <laughs> you, I think the term maybe we need to think of is thinking laterally. You kind of have to think right. kind of to the side of, of the obvious choices for the connections that we're looking for. Um, Robin in the United Kingdom is certainly starting to think like us, though, and I'm sorry, Robin. You, you should be afraid, very afraid, because <laughs> <laughs> I think the connection you came up with is actually probably even better than the one we came up with. Yeah, this is awesome. <laughs> so Robin's connection was that both games have mathematical terms in their titles, Formula Day and Bermuda Triangle, Triangle. which that is an awesome connection, and I wish we could take credit for it, but credit where credit is due, Robin, you rock. Uh 
in the future, if you keep guessing like that, you're going to land yourself <laughs> some prizes, my friend. Exactly. So, Dave, why don't you let us uh, know and let all our suspenseful listeners know uh, what the actual connection well, was. The actual connection for. was that both games had weather elements. <laughs> uh, the obvious in the huge, horrible storm of Bermuda Triangle, and maybe the not-so-obvious in the um, advanced rules, you can opt to play in Formula Day with weather. So they both had weather elements. Okay, I know you're throwing things at your iPod and at your computer right now, but... <laughs> Send your hate mail to Dave at thespiel.net. No, no, no. That was supposed to go at Stephen at thespiel.net. <laughs> <laughs> I beat him to it. <laughs> so so remember, you know, that congratulations for everyone who's been playing. You're going to get better. We, we have faith in our listeners. You'll, uh, you're going to be uh, making us sorry we even started this game right. before, we, <laughs> before we know it. Um, so remember, there's going to be connections between the two games that we talk about, and we look forward to your emails at stephen at thespiel.net. And dave at thespiel.net. On to the backshelf spotlight without further ado. So um, I'm going to start. Cool. Um, the first game is Java. Oh. Classic, great game. Uh, it was published in 2000, year 2000. Wolfgang Kramer and Michael Kiesling are the designers. Rio Grande is the publisher. Two to four players. You can find it online for around $25. <clears throat> the two words that come to mind the most when I think of Java are brain melting. <laughs> Fits in with the brain theme. Exactly. Keeping it going here. The rules naturally are not difficult to grasp. But trying to figure out what to do on a given turn is enough to induce aneurysms on any given turn. <laughs> Java is the second game in a series that includes Tikal and Mexica. The board depicting central Java is lusciously illustrated. Colorful village irrigation and rice terrace tiles with one, two, or three hexes are played onto the board along with palace tokens and wooden markers. Coolest of all, the board is built upward with the tiles stacking together to form a sort of topographical map of the island by the end of the game. Um, each player is a sovereign in the game who, accompanied by their entourage, tries to exploit a territory as large as possible to found their civilization. They irrigate the soil and create rice terraces. They build villages and they develop them into towns and then they create palaces where, of course, if you got a palace, what are you going to do? You're going to hold parties. Exactly. <clears throat> The buildings and expansions of the palaces, the placing of the irrigation fields, and the organizing of the parties are the way you score points in the game. These points are scored using the counting scales that are on the board itself. Um, but the real <clears throat> sort of strategy of the game comes down to the final great counting phase at the end of the game, which is where you're going to score buku points and really are going to cash in and, and score the majority of your points in the game. The game's driven by action points, and how you divvy up the action points on each turn is what makes the game so challenging and fun. There are always five things you want to do, but you never have enough <laughs> action points to do everything right. that you want to do, which is just the awesome you know, balance of, of the game design, I think. The strategy comes in knowing how and when to allocate your points from turn to turn. If you think ahead, you'll find yourself the king of all you survey. I just I can't say enough good things about all the games in this series, but specifically right. Java. It's just a beautiful game to look at. It's challenging, but yet very simple to, to understand in terms of what your options are. It's understanding how the decisions you're making on any one given turn are going to sort of branch out and give you other options on the uh, on right. the other turns. So um, 
I just can't say enough good things about it's, it. What about you, Dave? It's it's funny because of all the three in the series, they kind of all thematically tie together. But this one has almost an abstract strategy feel mm-hmm. about it, even though it's you're using those action points in that kind of way. It's it's that really strange stacking kind of 3D feel that's mm-hmm. just really cool, and it looks awesome while you're playing. And when you're done playing, you just want to take a picture. Yeah, it's it's cool. <laughs> and the components this could probably be on Goober. Oh gosh, yeah, because I would say so. The tiles in this thing are like uber thick and just really cool. Mm-hmm. And, and talk about lateral thinking. And most times you're thinking in board games, is sort of right. building sideways. Exactly. In this game, if you have a good spatial sense of things, yeah. you're, the building up and understanding how to manipulate the the actual tiles in the right. game definitely gives you an advantage. It's, it's cool. Now, because of this, it can suffer from uh, analytical paralysis. Oh gosh. Because on any given turn, the 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 possible actions are innumerable. I mean, it's just crazy. <laughs> yeah, you could definitely, uh, you might need a timer for some people playing this yeah, game exactly. or you might be up all night. But it's, but it's one that if anybody suggested it, I would be, yep, I'm there. Yeah. Every time. If you're looking for a higher strategy, more in-depth kind of game, dust this one off if you haven't gotten it out for a while or look back and, and you can find really good deals, especially for $25. The right. components are such a high quality you'll get a lot of, of replay value. We, out we of this need to one. we need to get together some night and play the whole trilogy yeah, yeah. in one night. That'd be fun. <laughs> that would be fun. So um what do you got for us? Uh, uh, the second game in the back shelf spotlight tonight is Jambo. Um it's a two player card game. It's co published in two thousand four by Rio Grande Games and Cosmos. Um it was designed by Rudiger Dorn. Retails for twenty three bucks, but you can find it for fifteen to eighteen bucks. And Jambo is the 27th game <laughs> in the Cosmos, Cosmos Spiel for Zwei series. Wow. Which is crazy. There's like 30-some of them. But, uh, and you have them all. And, yes, I do. So far. <laughs> um, in Jambo, each player takes on the role of a trader in Central Africa before the colonization. They each own a large market stand on which they can display their wares. By playing cards, players buy and sell wares not to and from each other, but by using a common supply. Each player can use people cards to help themselves and animal cards to hinder their opponent. And there's also utility cards that provide unique special abilities to the players. The first player to reach 60 gold pieces wins. Um, It's a great little two-player card game that is not collectible, but kind of feels collectible. The three things that I really think are cool about this game is... It also is an action point game, and anything where the meat of your turn is basically do whatever the heck you want is just cool as heck. Um, In this particular game, um, if you draw a card, it's an action point. If you play a card, it's an action point. So it's fairly simplistic on how the points are divvied up, but it just gives you a lot of freedom in how you play it. Um, the, The other thing that's awesome about this game is the card combos. You're going to have to play the game maybe two or three times, but once you're familiar with all the cards, the combos that you can come up with are really cool, and the timing of when to use those combos <laughs> yeah, definitely, you know, definitely. Is, is totally cool. And I think a unique thing about this also is that the, uh, the end game kind of has a last licks feel to it. So uh, once a player meets the victory conditions, if I were to go ahead and get those um, 60 gold points, now you're going to get one last turn to see if you can one-up me and maybe get 61 points. You know, I totally forgotten that part of that. So that, the, the that cool game. thing is, a lot of times you don't want to just 
ooh, I can get 60 points this turn and win. Be like, ooh, but that's a little too close. I better wait until I can get like 64, <laughs> you know, and make Steve Overwhelming get, victory is ex- what you need. Exactly. So that's really cool. And it's, it's not a long game. Um, so you could probably play a handful of these in an evening. Mm-hmm. And I think this is... I have several picks out of the um, Cosmos um, two-player series, and this would rank up there in the in the top handful, like of six or so, because I thought it was really cool. Yeah, yeah, it's one of those games where I feel like I've only played it a few times, and I've just kind of scratched the surface of really right understanding, <laughs> having that light bulb moment where you're like, oh, I really <laughs> understand what I'm supposed to be doing now. I don't think I've quite had that. The light bulb is still pretty dim <laughs> over here, but. That doesn't make me want to play it any the less, I would say. And it's kind of cool. These are both kind of not really old games, but um, games that you don't hear a lot about. I don't don't. think you do. No, you know, they definitely fit into the, they're not old, old games, but worth worth a second look if you have put off maybe looking at them or playing them. them Give them a second go around. Definitely. So once again, the two games in this week's Backshelf Spotlight are Java, and, and Jambo, Jambo, and they have connections. We're no longer telling you how many. Could have one, could have two. We'll let you guys see what they are. But, <laughs> you, but you can sort it out. But but we have the connection or connections in our mind or lack of minds. Yep. Whatever. <laughs> so good and, luck. Send yeah. us emails at dave at thespiel.net or steven at thespiel.net. And remember, the website, of course, is thespiel.net. Truckloads of Goober. What is Goober, you ask? While sages and scholars may debate its subtle nuances, Dave defines Goober as either a game with a ton of quality components or a game with really unique components. Now, we're not saying that you should always judge a book by its cover, but the stuff, the Goober in a game, can be a factor in having fun. Great Goober can make an otherwise average game excellent. Great Goober can make an already great game sublime. Let's see what the Goobermeisters have for us this week. And finally, the moment you've all been waiting for this week's Goober is La Cita. It's a game that was co-published in 2000 by Cosmos and Rio Grande Games. It was designed by Gerd Finchel. Um, it's for two to five players, ages 12 and up. Unfortunately, the English version is out of print. You can still purchase the German version, but it's a little costly. It's just over 50 bucks. I did notice there are several um, people on the Geek that are willing to trade this. So that might be an option if uh, this is a game that sounds neat to, to you. I'll give you a little quick... By the, by the Geek, he means Board Game Geek. Board Game Geek, sorry. Us in the know. <laughs> yeah. The, the cool people just call it the geek. <laughs> um, I'll give you a little uh, synopsis of the game before I tell you why this is a goober. Um, basically, each player in, the, in uh, La Cita is an Italian prince who starts the game with two cities and is charged with expanding the different aspects of the cities to attract larger populations. Players build farms to feed their people, quarries to finance their expansions, marketplaces to allow growth in their cities, and, of course, bathhouses because you want your people remotely clean. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There's also several additional buildings that you can build which give your city influence in one of three categories. Um, Superiority in one of these categories can cause populations from nearby cities to be attracted to your city. 
At the end of each year or game turn, the voice of the people is decided. So, for example, if this year education is important to the people, then the cities that have a strong educational support system will attract players, um, other players' populations. And then at the end of six turns, the player with the most victory points, which is determined by who has the most well-round cities, the most well-fed population, and overall who has the most population, will be the winner. So it's a really cool little game. And now, why is it a goober? <laughs> we'll start at the top. It has a really big, oversized board. Um, Huge. Yeah, nice-sized board, full color, nice area in the center where you're playing all your buildings and constructing your cities, and then two neat little areas on the ends for your cards, for the action cards on one side and the voice of the people cards on the other side. So really well laid out, oversized. Um there are 22 of these really cool, unique, triangle-shaped terrain tiles. Um, instead of just being a traditional triangle, there's like these three little knobbies that stick out from each side. Yeah. Completely cosmetic. They have nothing to do with gameplay, but they just, they're really they cool. They look cool. Yeah, and they're very unique. <laughs> um, now we get into the quantity aspect. There's over 140 building tiles that you get with this game. There's 150 of these really cool um, stone resin figures, citizen figures. Yeah. They look like ancient, you know, little statues, you know, and mm -hmm. they're just really cool. Out of all the games we have, I'm not sure if I have anything quite like this. Usually they're always little plastic figures or little wooden figures. Or cubes. I mean, they're or, not, they're not right. representational, yeah. and these actually are. And it's not just one um, sculpt. It's like there's that's a handful right. of little. Oh, I'd forgotten about that. That's actually that's yeah. really cool. Yeah, and it's it's I think it's really cool. Um, there's also over a hundred um, food and gold tokens, and over seventy five cards. So you've got tons of stuff in this. Um, and actually, it's in a uh, I don't want to say standard, but a, what you all know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about like a um, trying to pick out a. A size of box but it's not a huge box no no and it's for, got, for that amount of right, stuff and it's got a lot of stuff it's sort of in a it. standard size you know right, game box exactly if you think of a, a typical rio grande style game it you know it really isn't that much uh, it's not no bigger than those boxes right really. and also as um as an aside this if we were having goober on lengths of games this can be a three plus hour game mm. um <laughs> yeah but but as far as the goober those little um, stone resin um, little citizen figures are just ultra cool. Small, but really cool. And if you were insane, I guess you could paint them. Um, <laughs> but they're they're not super detailed. They kind of look like statues that might have been around for a while. Right. But they're, I Withered. think that was hopefully on purpose. Cause oh, I, I think It so. looks really cool. Yeah. We'll give them credit for it, even if it wasn't yeah, yeah, on purpose. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that, that's my goober for this week. La Cita. If it sounds, uh, if it sounds cool to you, try and pick it up. The Game Sommelier, or Right Game, Right Crowd. Like matching the perfect vintage with a delicious meal, the Game Sommelier finds the right game for any crowd, age, experience, or personality. Each week, one of us must pick five games to meet a fiendish challenge. Each week, one of us must earn the right, the honor, to be called The Game Sommelier. Here's Dave with this week's challenge.
Okay, Stephen, I'm sure that you remember your challenge from the last episode. I do. It was to find five games that you can use to teach basic or intermediate math concepts. The players need to come away from these games with a solid understanding of the particular math skill that you're trying to teach. Okay. Let's let's see what you came up with. <laughs> okay. Well, first off, I think it would be difficult to pick almost any game that doesn't invoke some kind of mathematical concept or principle. Absol- at, absolutely. At, at their essence, the game almost any game uses math in some way or another. In fact, for instance, the simple act of learning a new set of rules is an exercise in logic. Um, Bingo. My goal in picking these games was to cast my net as wide as possible and select games that covered a variety of basic concepts Cool. without being dumbed down. Okay. Um, I also wanted to avoid the most obvious choices because of what I just said about every game sort of having a mathematical principle at some point or another. So whenever possible, I made myself not take the gimme. Because cool. I could make a list that was five in like, Five, uh, it seemed like it was going to be hard, and then when I started to sit down and do it, I was like, oh, well, this, 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 and this. And I was like, well, that's that's too easy. So to me, I thought it would be more interesting to bring uh, different games to the table. Um, so these are five games that you could trick a lot of kids into learning some math without the risk of hearing them say, oh, I've played that game before. It's stupid. <laughs> um, you take away those excuses, and you're left with, Little or big brains, ready to soak up some mathy goodness, and they'll be none the wiser. Did you just say mathy goodness? I did say mathy goodness. Oh my god! <laughs> I'm my thumbs are ready already. <laughs> All right, so game number one, Kingdoms, 1994, Rainer Knizia, Fantasy Flight Games is the publisher. Two to four players. It's about thirteen dollars. You can find it online. The prince mathematical principles at heart. Uh, you learn all about matrices. The board is actually set up like a matrix. Uh, multiplication and addition. Those are the three sort of ma- basic math things at heart. Uh, this game takes participants to a medieval kingdom, which looks remarkably like a matrix with some square tiles. <laughs> each player, each turn, players place tiles on the board, which modify either positively or negatively the amount of money to be made. Um, by the places that share those tiles, rows, or columns. Um, three times the board is filled with these tiles, and gold is earned, after which the player with the most money wins. Scoring well hinges upon a player's ability to be able to add and multiply values across the columns and rows to determine the best place to play their tiles onto the matrix. There's game number one. That's absolutely perfect. I did not even think of that game at all, and... Now that you mention it, that's absolutely beautiful for those. Thumbs up, number one, perfect. <laughs> the other, I guess the one last thing I'll say is too, because of the theme, the whole the whole math thing is just so oh. secondary. You don't even think about, no, maybe that's exactly that's, why you thought of it. Ex- yeah. you, you think about it being this game about building ma- medieval kingdoms and not right. the math. So it's the sneaky things like that. That's what I was kind of looking yeah, it for. Was that, the math <laughs> in that game is very sneaky. <laughs> that's awesome. Game number, game number two. Awesome. I'm glad I'm off to a good start here. Number two, Can't Stop. 
1979, <laughs> Sid Saxon, genius, awesome game designer. Parker Brothers, um, or Osmoday Editions, that's the most recent version you'll find is Osmoday Editions. Cool. Uh, two to four players, you can find it for about 25 to $30. Um, I know where you're going with this. It's probability <laughs> at its heart combined awesome. with a press-your-luck mechanic. Right. Um, so the idea is quite simple. There's a board with all the possible results of two six-sided dice, two through twelve. The object of the game is to move a little marker to the top of three columns by rolling that result. But you need many more sevens than you need twelves based on the likelihood of the result on the roll of the die. During your turn, you roll the die and place temporary markers onto the board. You can continue moving these markers until either none of your dice match or cut your losses and end and your turn. So there's where the press your luck mechanic comes into it. Um, it's a nice light filler game. Great for opening or closing a game night. You can play it for as little or as, as short a time as you could. Be great for a classroom for that very oh. reason because if you have limited time, you could play it um, in a heartbeat. That's so, awesome. Every two. everybody that takes a probability and statistics class has that stupid little chart where they have the two <laughs> six sided dice and you're learning you know learning all the prob the statistics and probabilities and the odds of certain combos coming up. And this game does exactly that same thing without the dorky little chart in the book. That's beautiful, awesome. Second thumbs up. <laughs> Number three is Corsari. Published mm. in 2003, Leo Colvini, Rio Grande Games, two to four players, $8 online. So the uh, principles in action here are addition and logic. Um cool. So what looks like a harmless little pirate-themed game is actually a great lesson in taking a simple mathematical concept and playing it to the hilt. In Corsari, you're trying to assemble three different sets of scallywags in your hand. Prisoners, crew, and stowaways. Prisoners uh, can only be one of one color. Crew can be of two different colors, but cannot be the same number. And stowaways are all those cards that don't conform to the other sets. When you set sail, you lay down all your three sets and hope to have the smallest sum of stowaways. The sum on the values of the cards, in other words. Uh, if you do, you score big. If you don't, you get penalty points, plus you inherit all of the stowaways from those who scored lower than you. It's a lot to keep track of in terms of the way the, the scoring and the little logic tree that balances out from there. But when you boil it down to its simplest element, Corsari is a game about addition and logic at its heart that the basic concept is you're trying to figure out which of these stacks add up to the most and how to fit this complicated scoring system in to make sure that each of the little piles add to the most so i thought for for a game that has such a simple concept at heart you could actually throw this at much more older and more sophisticated game players and really wow them with the fact that at its heart it's really just a game about adding <laughs> right absolutely and i think you hit it on the head um, that's why we love to play it so much it snuck up on us the first time we played it. like whoa yeah i thought this was just a goofy little pirate game and it turns out to be this really awesome little card game that will definitely surprise anybody mm -hmm. and i didn't think of the math connections there but they're painfully obvious <laughs> so that's Yet another thumbs up. Cha-ching. <laughs> okay, number four, Quarto. Ah, oh, well. 1991, <laughs> Blaze Mueller is the designer, Pressman Toy or 
Gigamic or gigamic? I don't know. Gigamic, I think. Gigamic, okay. (laughs) At least for me it is. Gigamic, it's gigamic, (laughs) I tell you. (laughs) Two players, and it's uh, $20. Uh, You can find it easily. Um, The mathematical principles in work here are geometry, uh, three-dimensional or spatial thinking, and pattern recognition. Um, It's a simple to learn, again, but very difficult to master kind of abstract strategy game. The game... Um, has players on a 4x4 grid. Each piece in the game has four different attributes. Color, shape, height, and the number of holes. Either one or zero. So you got a little digital action going there with the ones and zeros. Uh, Players attempt to form a line of four pieces in a row, orthogonally or diagonally, uh, that have at least one attribute in common. Now here's the real genius part about this game. The trick to the game is that you pick the piece that your opponent must play and vice versa. So that makes you responsible for their victory big time. <laughs> yes, yes. So you have to be able to see the patterns and see the board better than your opponent because your opponent is always going to hand you the piece that wins the game for you. So it's just a great lesson in being able to observe these different patterns and the the, the things that they have similar and the, the geometry of the yeah, board. I love that pick on two levels, the basic geometry, the shape of the pieces, and then obviously the advanced pattern recognition. That's, that's a great pick. <laughs> Huge thumbs up. Cool. Um, number five, I go a little more advanced. I, these are all kind of basic concepts, but I thought it would be important to include something okay, for hopefully maybe... this isn't beyond me. <laughs> Yeah, this is a calculus. Fun with cal- exactly. calcul- calculorama. No, this is uh, St. Petersburg. Oh, my goodness. 2004. Uh, Bernd Brunhofer uh, is the designer, but interestingly enough, um, he's actually using his pseudonym. I, I just found this out in doing a little research about oh, wow. this game. Michael Tummelhofer is actually Bernd Brunhofer. It's a pseudonym. I don't know why he feels the need to have a pseudonym for certain board games, but okay, you go for it, Bernd. I have no problem if with it. If anybody out there knows other designers <laughs> who have pseudonyms, let us let know. Us know. I, I haven't heard of that before. <laughs> Maybe this isn't Dave Colson sitting yeah. across hmm, from me. <laughs> very interesting. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> anyway, I just thought that was wild and weird, so I, I thought outside. I'd throw that in there. Uh, Rio Grande is the publisher. Two to four players, about $20. You can find it. The principles, I felt it was important to have an uh, economics game, which is uh, math of a different sort, I understand, but you have the whole card, money, management, and logic um, playing into it. Um, It's a great game for introducing basic economic principles, I think, because it sort of has has layers that sort of teach you as you literally go up the board how decisions on one level are going to affect your ability to do other things. The, um, the game's four phases, worker, building, aristocrat, and trade, are depicted by different levels on the game board. Each phase hinges upon a player's ability to generate enough rubles to invest in the more advanced cards, which will award victory points and or allow them extra abilities in the game. Without going into an extensive explanation of the rules, because there are a lot of them, the game's mechanics are very interesting and unique, and they underscore the need to strike a balance between income and and expenditure. You're always fighting having to have enough coming in to enough go going out to be able to do other things on the game board. And to me, that's just a great uh, way of 
even though the game is kind of complex, to simplify a very complicated economic right. principle down into something that you can go, oh, well, I see how yeah. it's at work here in this particular rule in this particular game. So um, there you go. Yeah, I, th I think that's also great. You could have probably picked several games yes. to demonstrate this yes. particular thing, but I think St. Petersburg probably takes it like to the nth degree, so this was a great one to pick, and now I know why I suck at that game. <laughs> <laughs> hmm, I better start studying. Uh, that was, what was that, five thumbs that, that up? That was five thumbs up, man. Man. I, I nailed you last time and, with and one thumb down. Yeah, so. I don't even, and it's not even grudgingly. I mean, they were great picks. <laughs> Well, I had so, to I had to do some work to find the non gimmies that right. I sort of had to raise the bar a little because I thought that was an important quality too to find exactly. games that oh well, I've played that one before <laughs> get that out of the way so because you know like Settlers of Catan would have easily oh, fit right. into the exactly. economics I mean exactly. they, you know, but these are games that are a cut above even though and we know we know that we have some uh, math people listening and. And mm -hmm. if you have any input yeah, onto, please let us you know, know. If if anybody can trash Stephen, please, <laughs> please, <laughs> go for it. <laughs> that, that those were great. That cool. was awesome. Thank you. I will hold my title for another episode. Um, so, are you ready for your challenge? Let's let's have it. Okay. So let's say you have a gamer geek friend who's about to tie the knot. He's asked you to be the best man at his wedding, and naturally that means you're in charge of the bachelor party. <laughs> now, since he's a gamer, strippers and booze are not going to cut it. <laughs> Your job is to find five games for the ultimate geek, game geek bachelor party. There can be a theme or a connection or a tournament angle to the games or not. It's your call. Let's say the party could get big for a while, so at least one game must be able to accommodate a large group of people, but the rest of the games can be to four to six people. Um, we've had enough all-nighter game blowouts of our own without any bachelors involved. I'm sure that you can come up with something that's just awesome. So uh, there you go. I have to <laughs> golf clap on this one. That's this is going to be a great challenge. <laughs> I, I felt like you know we haven't gone down the the social angle for right. a while. So you that's know, fun. Not that they have to be social games, right? Exactly. Games, but because these are gamer geeks, you know. I mean, keep that in mind. But. There yeah, they're, they're not going to expect to show up and play lingerie bingo. <laughs> oh God, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> that that's awesome. I'm looking forward to this one. That's in fact, I may have to have a bachelor party just to try them out. <laughs> <laughs> All right, <laughs> cool. Mailbag. It's time for you to let us know what you think. Comments, questions, criticisms. Let us have it. So welcome to the inaugural edition of the Mailbag. You all uh, took us at our word and gave us some really good material to go on, so let's just dive right in. Awesome. Uh, first off, we've got Anka Boot in Malaysia, who has a question that has your name all over it, Dave. <laughs> Uh-oh. Um, so he, he writes in and says, You guys must have hundreds, if not thousands, of board games. True. <laughs> Why? How do you keep them all? What are your tips for storing board games and keeping their components in good condition? Ah, cool. Well, I'll try and answer this as quick as I can. Um, the first thing I do when I um, open up a game is a lot of these European-style games come with really neat um, little plastic inserts to store everything. Unfortunately, they all don't work as well as they look like <laughs> Intended, they should work. Yeah. So I have five different sizes of plastic bags. You can get them at your local hobby store. Um, anywhere from like 
three by four to five by four to four by six to six by eight inches exactly and um basically what i do is i just go through um organize all my components into these little plastic baggies store them in the box and then they'll never get lost they'll stay good it's a little anal but it works (laughs) um you just like you said we have thousands of games and um all my games basically look as good as they did the first day i bought them yes um the second trick as is as far as storing a quantity of games rather than the individual components is Stephen and I both have rooms with ceiling ceiling or floor to ceiling shelves that we store stuff on and one of our big secrets is we don't stack games set them up on like you would a book a spine spine them exactly basically. spine them exactly and I have a little a little secret that I do um, I hang the boxes off of the shelf about a half of an inch it seems really silly, but that gives you a place to put to get a good grasp when you're pulling the game off the shelf. So you don't end up pushing it back when right, you want to go to get it. Right. <laughs> Usually it ends up getting pushed back in and you have to pull it out by the lid and something gets ripped. And if you're a collector, that's not good at all. So just a kind of a goofy thing. Spine them and hang them off the shelf about a half an inch. And try and store all games of like sizes together because when you have a huge collection, space is definitely <laughs> a, premium. a premium big time. So that's pretty important. If anybody has any other questions, we could get a little detail. We'll later, revisit this subject many, many times. I have, have no fear, Uncle Boo. Ma- many other secrets <laughs> that some may consider insane. But. <laughs> yes, there's many funniest story we can uh, share with you in future episodes about Dave, the level of analness of Dave's uh, game collection. So look forward to that. Um, so thanks, Anka Boot. Uh, yep, we'll look forward to hearing, you in the, hearing from you in the future. Um, moving on, we've got Andreas and Christoph, who both wrote in to give us good translations of the German title for Dawn Under, Ah, um, cool. which we discussed in uh, episode uh, 14, the last episode, uh, which was Dick Luft in der Gruft, <laughs> um, which the real translation is Troubles Brewing in the Crypt. Ah. Uh, Dick Luft means dense air, apparently, and it's a way of saying that there's trouble. Uh, for example, if you walked into a room where there's a fight going on, you could say, hey, here is Dick Luft, let's get out of here. Ah. Um, Gruft is also um, means crypt, which comes from the Greek root of crypto. Okay. Kind of see how those are related. Exactly. Um, so Luft and Gruft rhyme. You get, you get <laughs> so a little rhyming what, action exactly. going with Dick Luft and der Gruft. So thanks to both Andreas and and uh, Christoph for letting us know about that. Um, That's awesome. Dave, what else do you have? You got some, some mailbag notes um, there. I, I have an I have a, um, email from Ken, and uh, he, said he, he said, Guys, I've been a longtime game player and collector. Unfortunately, he has over time lost most of his games to either friends borrowing them and never returning them, or uh, he had his ex-wife eBay his games Ooh, away. That bitter is, pill. Oh, that's Ouch. painful. He says, I forgot how much I enjoyed playing games. I just found your podcast this week while off on paternity leave. Congratulations yeah, hey, on the awesome. little one. Um, so he's been listening to the episodes uh, back-to-back, and he just wanted to let us know that he enjoys his uh, the podcast and the enthusiasm and knowledge that we have of games. So Thanks. thank you very much. Thanks very much. Keep that's, listening. <laughs> that's awesome. So hopefully you'll be able to build a new collection now. And, yep. and we'll, we'll make sure that you've got good games to exactly. put into your new collection. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I've got a note here from Kent in California who wanted to let us know that there's a reprint 
of the board game version of Incognito that's now available Ooh. from Rio Grande Games. Um, we discussed Incognito, I think it was either episode 8 or 9. I okay. can't remember which, but I know it was one of those two. That mystery was, episode. Yeah, it was um, one of the uh, Pennsylvania episodes. Right. Um, so the board is a full-color map of Venice. It comes with an awesome bust of a masked figure, which is used to determine how you move on your turn with little oh, colored I, balls. I've that seen that old version. If there's are coming awesome? back with that. <laughs> As Kent says, it's definitely a candidate for truckloads of goober. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, I... I have to get that now. And, you know, us, we're so up on uh, Rio stuff, I can't believe yeah, I didn't I, know. I, that's... I wonder if they're doing that, like, in um, concert with uh, Winning Moves, because Winning Moves had something to do with the German version of that. Yeah, I think it's I think there it's on its own, from yeah. what I can tell, and just looking at what Kent sent us. So kudos to Kent for uh, yeah, great. giving us the scoop on that, that one. That is awesome. Um, so let's see, uh, you got another one there, Dave? Y- yes, I got an... Um, an email from Mike. <laughs> this one made me fall out of my chair and laughing. Uh, Mike, this is just a little something special for you. Hello. <laughs> now, for our other listeners who who obviously don't get the inside joke, uh, Mike writes, I just finished up listening to episodes 1 through 13 last week and wanted to drop a quick note to tell you both how enjoyable the shows were. He likes both the format and the content, and he appreciates the audio is continuing to get better. The thing he doesn't like <laughs> Dave. is the fact that I say hello all the time, and unfortunately that reminds him of his mother-in-law, <laughs> and it makes him wince every time I say it. <laughs> so I can totally see where you're coming from, Mike. Unfortunately, I can't promise that I'm uh, not going to have the occasional hello here and there. In fact, I think in tonight's episode, I probably had three or four of them. <laughs> so you're probably going to wince your way all the way through this episode, so... We'll see if we can hold them to a minimum, but I got a kick out of that email. <laughs> so I've got a couple more here. Um, Michael in Minnesota gave us another way to look at metagaming. Oh, cool. um, he sees metagaming in collectible card games and miniatures games where you build a deck or an army out of a collective pool. Um, so to quote him, it comes down to certain combos and such being prevalent in certain regions so when you travel to a bigger event like for a tournament with peoples from various regions or you go to a different region and play you'll see various um, trends in the way people build and construct their decks and you know that's sort of another aspect of of metagaming in other words that's great i would totally agree with that um including uh, collectible card game deck building and miniatures feels like metagaming to me both of those kinds of games have a sort of game outside the game, a game that you play when you're not playing. Absolutely. In other words, yep. and I think he's he's, he's really ab- yep he's absolutely correct nailed the nailed it on the head. Very there. cool. <laughs> um, so let's see. I think do you have uh, am I on my flying uh, that, solo I here? Think you're or you're on, I'm done. Okay. Well, I've got uh, two left. I've got okay. Anson in Canada who gives us his theory of we- the weather changing beaver <laughs> in Spirits of Niagara. <laughs> he says, "Quote: Isn't it obvious? If the river goes too fast, the beaver builds a dam and slows the rapids down." Duh. <laughs> I did want to say hello, but. <laughs> Well, you know, that's great, but you have to admit that the idea of beavers controlling the weather, weather satellites is still pretty compelling. Well, that's, that's pretty darn awesome, too. I mean, too. you know, maybe they keep the controls in their dams. Hey. I think it's plausible. Hey, we could be starting some here. <laughs> if anybody has any other beaver ideas, let us know. We're going to get to the bottom of this. 
Okay, so lastly, we've got a, ni a really nice note, a long letter actually from Scotty in Mississippi. He sent us a great letter with some fun information about a local game group that he and his wife have started. Um, he's a loyal, regular listener to our podcast, cool. which, hey, thanks a lot. Um, we we appreciate all of you listening out, out there. It's oh, yeah. just awesome to know you guys are, are getting a kick out of us uh, yammering just on here. Just babbling about. So he writes, my wife and I have been gaming for years, but we've only recently decided to get serious about forming a board gaming group. We decided to host a game night in our home once a month. Our first one was last month. The purpose for this group is just to get as many people exposed to the world of designer games as possible. We basically invite anyone with a pulse. Our idea is to have a fun theme each time and have plenty of gateway games available at each gathering. Phase two of our diabolical scheme is that our closest gaming friends have agreed to host a game night once a month in their homes as well. Their first one will be held very soon. Those players who seem most likely to enjoy the games at our game night were invited to our friend's house for a slightly more serious game night. In this way, we hope to slowly recruit a nice pool of players in our area. The really cool thing is that we had a really large turnout for the first group, and everybody wanted to be invited to the second night hey, as well. Awesome. So we may have created a monster, <laughs> he writes. A good uh, monster. He even sent us a copy of the invitation for his Halloween-themed game party, which looked, looked really cool. <laughs> Sounds like a lot of fun. I hope that we're going to be able to help you out by bringing lots of fun and lesser-known games to your attention, Scotty. So keep listening. Uh, the name of his group is the Reservoir Board Gaming Group. So if you're listening and you live in Mississippi, which is where yeah. Scotty's located, you might want to hook up with Scotty and friends because he's sounds like he's got something going oh, down there. Yeah, it sounds like they're well on their way to having a serious gaming group. It's That's awesome. kind of too bad that we live so far away. Or we yeah, might exactly. Be able to hook well, up hey, with, uh... anybody want send invitations? You never know. <laughs> we may find ourselves on the other part of the country sometime and drop in. <laughs> So uh, thanks for making this uh, issue of the mailbag uh, such a success. You know, yeah, we'll, we'll was, definitely continue if you guys mail in. We'll, we're certainly happy to answer questions and share as many as we have time for here on the Spiel. Um, I think though that we've uh, reached our our limit here. Critical we're... mass. It's time to time to get out while we still can. <laughs> time to put the lid on the box and put it back on the shelf, but leave a little space so we can get it back out exactly. next week. So thanks again for everybody listening. Uh, hope you have fun, because we certainly have fun bringing the show to you. So uh, remember, whether it's the roll of a die, or the turn of a card, or the flip of a tile, you don't have to play to win, you, you just, just have, have to play. play.